0: And follow BSL on Twitter.
1: Twitter.
0: Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we bring you our preseason top 50 prospect list. We're recording this on Monday night. So for live listeners, listen along here to the top 50. If you're listening to this later on, though, the article will be on at baltimoresportsandlife.com. You'll get to be able to get the full list there with reports, which Nick did an excellent job writing up for us. And we'll cover that on tonight's episode. That's our main topic for this show, and it's really our only one. But if you've listened to our top prospect reveals in the past, you know that this is always a big show, especially since last summer when we expanded it from 30 to 50. This is also our third top 30 slash top 50 preseason prospects list. So we've been at this for a little while. And to start things off, I will let Bob explain how this list came together.
1: Yeah, so as always, we each put together our own unique top 50 list of our personal rankings and then everybody sent them to me i put them in a spreadsheet manually i'm sure there's a way that i could automatically tally them up but I, I like doing it manually and uh you know go by points whoever's ranked number one you get 50 points whoever's ranked number 50 you get one point and all the way in between and then i just add them up and put them in order and that's how we get this very scientifically calculated uh, top 50
0: We'll start off uh, in the top 10 specifically with the first five players, which if you've been following the Orioles farm system closely, these names will not surprise you. Number one is Adley Rutzman. Number two is Grayson Rodriguez. Number three, D.L. Hall. Number four, Gunnar Henderson. And number five, Colton Kowser. All five of those players are consensus top 100 prospects coming into the 2022 season for all of minor league baseball most lists have Adley Russman ranked either first or second on their top 100 lists. And Grayson Rodriguez is generally now regarded as the top overall pitching prospect in the game. So there really is not a whole lot more we can say to tell you how good these five players are. But I'll let Nick take a shot here.
2: Oh, man. I mean, Adley Rutschman is Adley Rutschman. We, we know that. Um like nothing really else to add there. Uh, I, I mentioned in our report there, sneak peek. Uh, the only question I have is when are we going to see him in the major leagues? That's, that's really the only question I have with Adley Regman. Uh Rodriguez. He took just this massive step forward last year. And now he is firmly the, the number one pitching prospect in all the baseball four plus pitches just dominated. I, I mentioned too, like he literally destroyed Adley Rudgman's glove in that one game. If you remember that from last year, I mean, the guy is just so dominant and poised, and there's still more. There's still room for him to grow and mature as a pitcher. Maybe not physically grow. He's already a pretty imposing human being, but um, he's still got some more learning to do, which I think is pretty dangerous. Um, D.L. Hall, I, I said a few weeks ago that I thought the mood and vibe starting Hall was kind of down, but then Baseball America just like sent a barrage of like D.L. Hall hype articles and, and mentions it when they released their Top 100 update, which I thought was awesome. Uh, even if Bob shared this uh, clip from Carlos Colazzo saying, like, Deal Hall is a case to be the top pitching prospect in baseball when Grayson Arder gets graduates. So I think that's huge. Um, and yeah, you know, Gunnar Henderson and Colton Kowser, I-, I do, there is something big that I think that I know Zach, you said you wanted to talk about too with Gunnar Henderson that I know in the article that we can talk about, but a stud, a young stud too. And Colton Kowser is just, I feel like, as safe as a prospect as you can get in the system. High floor. I'm excited to see him finally challenge next year because. He made year look pretty easy in rookie ball.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Baseball America was just giving us a ton of love. Uh, Kyle Glazer was talking up. Grayson Rodriguez also on their big Top 100 show, talking about how, you know, pitching prospects are kind of touch and go. But Grayson shows the tools to really just be a true number one uh, ace in uh, the major leagues. And then, like you said, um, the projection – gosh, I can't remember the name of their uh, – Carlos Carrazo and Ben Badler were the ones talking up the hall and I – I uh, tweeted those clips out, but that was exciting to hear. Obviously, Adley just, come on, when are you going to come take over this franchise and literally own the Baltimore Orioles? And yeah, Gunnar Henderson, is, can he stick a shortstop? Who cares? He's going to mash the Baltimore matter where he ends up. And Colton Kowser, like like we've said, he just makes it look so easy out there. I can't wait to see what he does at the upper ends of the, of the minor leagues, which I expect to be as soon as this year. So, Nick, going back
0: to Henderson, I thought you touched on something interesting in your piece, which was that there were some things you could nitpick with Henderson. Because I felt like towards the end of last season, we were seeing more sort of scouting the stat line analysis that Gunnar Henderson was a three true outcomes hitter, which if you break down the whole numbers in 2021, especially his time at Aberdeen, he kind of was that but I don't really think that says much about him as a prospect. I think he's a more complete hitter than that. Do you agree?
2: Completely. I mean, as don't fix don't fixate on the strikeouts at all. Like stop worrying about where he ends up defensively. Bob said it best. Who cares? Um, it's not a Ryan Mountcastle situation at all here. He has the tools. It's just a matter of where those tools going to fit best. Uh, you have, also have other pieces coming up in the system. Westberg, Kobe Mayo um, as well. So where, where do all the pieces fit the best? And you, He was a 20 year old. He's still not 21. He doesn't turn 21 until the end of June, I think. So three levels last year as a 20 year old, he got presented with multiple challenges. He passed each challenge. He struggled initially, which is completely fine. Uh, And then I really loved what Tim DeJohn said when we had him on a couple of weeks ago, uh, infield coach with Aberdeen last year. Um, You know, he said the the growth Gunnar Henderson made mentally on, on the mental health side of things and being able to overcome those struggles mentally I think he matured just as much as a person, a human being as he did a player. And so I loved what Tim had to say there about Gunner. And yeah, I think he's just a complete ball player with massive opposite field power. We saw in Del Marva. he's going to be 20 for like half of next season in double a. So he's going to be in triple a probably or sniffing triple a before he's 21, which is amazing.
1: Yeah. And he took a pretty big jump up baseball America's list as well. He's close to 50. Now I feel like he was hanging around in the eighties towards the end of last year. So we're not the only ones high on this kid. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that Henderson's got a lot of skills, and I'm you know, I'm not too concerned with the defense. That's going to work itself out over time. I think he's got the arm to play somewhere on the left side of the infield. So certainly looking forward to big things from him next year. Looking at the rest of this top ten, at number six is another young infielder who plays on the left side with a lot of power and a good arm, and that's Kobe Mayo. Right behind him at number seven, Jordan Westberg. Number eight, Heston Kurstad, who will be coming back this year from myocarditis, which is just excellent news. Number nine, Kyle bratis And number 10, Kyle Stowers, who last year was in the late teens on this list, preseason. He moves up to number 10 after a huge year at three levels in the minor leagues in 2021. I'm going to start in this group with Mayo, who now has leapfrogged the head of Jordan Westberg. Number six on this list, and we're starting to already see some possible pre-top 100 prospect hype with Mayo a little bit, the sense it maybe was a good half season to start 2022. You could see him on this list. So Bob, I'll start with you. Where did you have Mayo on your ranking and what are your thoughts on him coming up this far on the list?
1: Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I personally had Mayo number seven for me just behind Westberg, so just flip them. But Westberg's more of that, you know, he's got a high floor. He's already a double-A or could be a triple-A, and he's shown success at those levels. But just the ceiling on Mayo is tantalizing. The, the way he could hit 40 home runs in the major leagues, the way his power is. And you saw Baseball America giving Orioles some more love. They had an article about players who could jump into the top 100 uh, by the midseason, and I believe Mayo was on there for the O's. And, yeah, I mean, it's all about the bat, and it's the power is tremendous, but he – he hit for a good average. He he took some walks and he was solid out there at their base despite being six foot five or whatever giant he is. So he's it's just exciting, man. He's so young and he's only gonna get better. And I don't know. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> it's just exciting. I can't wait to go watch him play at Aberdeen.
2: Yeah. When I think about Mayo, like I feel like we we do a better and better job uh, over the two years almost. We're almost comfortable with a two year anniversary of the show. Um that I feel like we've done a better job of you know being you know more objective when talking about these guys, but with Kobe Mayo, like I just can't do it. Uh, I really struggle to do that because I really love this kid. As weird as that may sound, um, I fell in love and I fell hard. Uh, I actually had him number five on my list. I think I was the high man here. I said last week that he was going to move up my list pretty high, and he did. I put him just ahead of Colton Cowser. Uh, that was more of like a, a ceiling versus floor thing. Which which one do you go with? And I just think Kobe Mayo's ceiling is just tremendously high so i went ahead and pulled the trigger and put him at number five um which yeah i I think he's he's gonna climb he could be a a top three four prospect in the system by mid-year which is tremendous after only just a handful of games but when you're hitting the ball 112 miles an hour like that's impressive that's extremely impressive
0: i had mayo eighth on my list uh behind westbrook and behind heston Kurstad, but I will say that I don't think there's really much separation between those three right now. As Bob said, I think Westboro probably has the highest floor in the group and has proven the most so far of those three. But these are all really good prospects. And the one thing that, you know, to keep in mind with Kurstad, his health is tantamount. We want to see him healthy out in the field every day this year. Take whatever production you can get. But this time last year, we were talking about Kurstad as a top 100 prospect. So it's something to keep in mind when you see him eighth on this list. If he's healthy next year, he could start to move up pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If he comes out and just starts hitting bombs and crushing a ball to right field and and get promoted to Aberdeen and just continue hitting, you know, he's right back in the mix. If he can start 2023 in A or even AAA, but that's kind of dreaming on it. But if he can just start at A in 2023, I feel like he's pretty much right back on track as long as the results are there and, and he's healthy, really. That's really the big part
2: yeah and when i look at this group too, this next group of five here like jordan westberg is what number seven on our list and that's not a knock on jordan westberg at all like that's someone who could reach the major leagues possibly in 2022 uh good power smart approach sound defense Uh, and i think that just speaks to how incredibly talented the top of this list is especially these top five six seven eight prospects um and he's going to be a top 100 prospect by midseason. So he's definitely an exciting prospect in this uh, top 10 as well. Um, and I don't know, Bradish. I feel like, move on to the pitchers. N- number nine, I feel like Bradish would be the one in this top 10 that opinions would be a little bit mixed on. Yeah,
0: I think that's fair. Because, I, you know, Kyle Glazer expressed a lot of concerns about Braddish when he was on RSO back over the summer. And you do hear concerns about the delivery, the command. He was really up and down in AAA before finishing strong. And I think a lot of that, and I think he's touched on this before an interview with Masson about the struggles adjusting to the baseball, which we've seen a lot of pitchers uh, kind of deal with as they get to AAA. I think that if, you know, once we're on the other side of this lockout and you can get into spring training, depending on what the Orioles do with the rotation, I would have to think that looking at the group of pitchers right now, Bradis competes for an opening day rotation spot and then, even if he's not with the Orioles from day one this year, he's probably the first man up when something does go wrong with that rotation.
1: Yeah, I really just buy into what Matt Blood has been saying to us and to other people that, that they put them, him right up there with the Hall and Grayson Rodriguez of the world. Now, I think we know that he's a half step at least below them, but, I mean, just the way Matt Blood was correct on Joey Ortiz and, And pretty much everyone he hypes up comes to fruition. So I got to believe him here. And he started out so hot. He finished so strong. I just feel like he's going to come into spring training. Really impress some people, win a starting rotation job right out from uh, opening day and and coast from there. He might end up in the bullpen eventually as more of these guys come up and start to push him down the ladder. But I think he's going to have every chance in the world to uh, start 30 games for the Orioles this year.
2: And he got at least one vote. We don't know how many specifically, but at least one top 100 vote in baseball America's top 100 uh, updates. So someone else is a believer as well. I just looked at those last five games, 25 innings pitched, five earned runs, six walks, 30 strikeouts. I mean, it's about as dominant as you can get in AAA. And I don't know what else you guys want to touch on with this top 10, but my only other question on the top 10 is like thinking about it more. I think we talked about Kyle Stowers in like our worry level, our, our scale worry on like his strikeouts, but overall as a prospect, I mean, are you concerned at all about Kyle Stowers next year, being able to stick in the major leagues?
1: I could see him going up and down a little bit. Maybe, maybe come, you know, starting out hot in triple a, he gets his, his shot. He's, he's striking out a little bit, you know, he's got to get adjusted to that big jump. Maybe they send him back down, but I think eventually by the end of the season, he's going to settle in and, and really show off his, his power and his exit velocity.
0: Yeah, I um, actually had Stowers ninth on my list ahead of Bradis. I feel like what we saw last year is a sign that he's going to be a more complete hitter than what his profile coming out of Stanford suggested. I also think that of the prospects that are coming up through the system, he has not the most to gain, but a lot to gain from Ryan Fuller being in the major leagues now because he was so good at Bowie working with Fuller last year that I have to think that there's already a game plan in place to figure out When Kyle Stowers gets to the major leagues, we know he's going to strike out a lot. We know that that swing, you know, he's got that big swing that big league pitchers are going to exploit, but we're going to have a plan for him. And I feel pretty confident that Ryan Fuller is going to have that implemented. And I also think that Stowers' defense is a little underrated. So when he gets to the majors, I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised by the way he can cover ground in right field, especially the short right field of Cannon Yards and with his arm. And, I, you know, he's also got a little bit of versatility built in where he can cover left, he can cover center. So I think he's going to go back to Norfolk and for good baseball reasons, not just the service time stuff. But I think that they'll bring him up sometime in the summer. And while there will be some ups and downs, I think he's going to stick.
1: That's a great point about Fuller. So I'm going to readjust. They're not going to send him back down. They're going to just let Fuller work out the kinks. But I think he could potentially start slow and then heat up as the season goes on at the major league level.
2: Yeah, excellent point there for real, because we always hear from prospects themselves like that jump from high A to double A is one of the bigger jumps you see in minor league baseball. And Stowers hit the ground running. I don't really think he had much of an adjustment period at all. Uh, if he did, he hit it pretty well. Uh, Feels all behind the scenes. So, yeah, I'm not worried too much. I am concerned just a little bit. I'm going to be completely honest there, but I really liked what I saw in Norfolk. The power wasn't there, like over the fence power wasn't there. But you look at like the line drive rate went up. Uh, you know, where he hit the ball left field, right field, center field, spraying the ball if he plays a little bit more. Um, I, I and that left field wall moving back, you know, that beautiful piece of architecture is now gone. It came in yards. Um, Stowers coming up as a center fielder, he can get it out there in left field. So, I, I think, uh, I think Stowers is sitting pretty next year in the major leagues.
0: So, we'll move on to the next part of this list, which is prospects 11 through 20, starting off with Michael Bauman, who came back from an injury last year. Gained strength over the course of the summer and comes into this year with a shot and maybe cracking the Orioles rotation at number 12, Taryn Vavra, the second baseman who was productive despite being limited to just 40 games and in injuries. Most of that at double a buoy number 13, Connor Norby, the 2021 draft pick who can just hit. Um, he's probably hit three singles in the time this podcast has been recording number 14, Braylon Tavera, the center fielder of the Orioles just signed, for a $1.7 million signing bonus in the international free agent market. Number 15, if you've listened to this show, you've heard us say this name before, Jean Pinto, the breakout right-handed pitcher, who had an excellent year in 2021 between the Florida Complex League and Loe Delmarva. At number 16, Michael Hernandez, the shortstop who made his professional debut last year and will probably be in the Florida Complex League this year. Number 17, Drew Rom, the reliable left-hander, who was sharp last year between Aberdeen and Bowie, and now has to be knocking on the door of AAA if he's not on the opening day roster for the Tides this year. Number 18, Samuel Basayo, left-handed hitting teenage catcher with a ton of power. Number 19, center fielder Hudson Haskin, who was very good over an injury short in 2021 between Delmarva and Aberdeen. And number 20, Cesar Prieto, one of the Orioles' new international signing prospects. Out of Cuba, another second baseman with a high floor and potentially a high ceiling. And I'm going to start with a question that I have in this group, because you have all three players right here, Vavra, Norby, Prieto. Before we came on the air, Nick told me that he hated this question. So I'm going to make him (laughs) answer it first. Out of Norby, Vavra and Prieto, who has the highest floor and who has the highest ceiling?
2: I do hate this question because it's so good. Uh, And, it's really tough to think about because we haven't, we haven't seen much of any of these three because Prito obviously just signed in Cuba. Um, don't watch a lot of Cuban professional baseball, Taron Vavra, the injury limited last year coming over from the Rockies and then Norby was just drafted. Um, but I think all three have pretty decently high floors, uh, exciting hit tools. And I, I think honestly, like if, you know, they probably all have more of a utility players profile, which I, I think is fine. I think they definitely have the skill set in the ceiling for one of them to break out, maybe become an everyday second baseman, but they're all just so smart too, smart hitters. Um, you know, I think the highest floor I'd probably say is Taron Vavra. Then I'll say Norby, then Prito. Um, I, I wrote down actually a quote from Eric Longenhagen. He said, plus hitting left-handed infield sticks play forever. Speaking of Taron Vavra. Um, so that, that does that for me. Um, the highest ceiling, like I want to say Prito because like, what if the power comes and develops, like what if he actually is a pretty good defensive second baseman? And I know, I think it was the Nick, he was comp to Nick Madrigal, right? Was that the Kobe Perez comp there? Yeah. So I know Nick Madrigal is not like a sexy baseball player, but I enjoy watching Nick Madrigal play baseball. Um, call me boring. I, I love it. Um, but yeah, I think he might have the highest ceiling and I'll go Norby and then Vavra. But we're talking tiny, tiny differences here in in, in my ranking, picking hairs.
1: Yeah, I kind of, I definitely agree. Vavra definitely the the highest floor. I just feel like that hit tool and that plate discipline already kind of could play at the major league level. Just a matter of how good he is defensively and where how much power he can add to that game. And for me, I think Connor Norby has the highest ceiling. I just feel like he could hit fifteen, twenty homers, bat around two eighty, maybe at the major league level as a as a peak and. That's pretty good. I think that's good enough to be like a starting second baseman. And uh, Prieto, he's kind of in the middle on both of these for me. I just feel like his floor is pretty high because he's obviously got that hit tool. He doesn't strike out barely at all. But at the same time, I could easily see him coming over here and and just being a little bit overwhelmed once he gets to major leagues or AAA level as far as competition goes. So it remains to be seen with him, but that's what I'll go with.
0: I'm going to agree with Bob here. I take Norby as the highest ceiling because if I'm looking at these three right now, I think Norby has the most power projection where we could see him add more power and probably be someone that can settle into the double digits home run wise, which if you get on base a lot, which Norby does, and you play a good defensive second base, that's enough to stick as a starter at the major league level. The highest floor, there really is not much separation between Preto and Vavra. One thing I kind of like about Vavra is that the Orioles have started to work in a little bit of versatility with him. He played some shortstop in the Rocky system, but the Orioles also had him in the outfield a little bit last year. And that makes me sort of wonder, is the worst case scenario for Vavra an up-the-middle utility type with a good hit tool? Whereas with Prieto, we just haven't seen that uh, over here yet. But by the end of May, end of June... My answer on this could completely flip.
1: I think if Michael Ivey has his way, we're going to have nine utility players in the lineup every day <laughs> that can just mix and match positions and spots in the lineup uh, like a puzzle piece.
2: Yeah, I think Fangraphs also had the comp for Vavras like Eric Sogard, which I mean, I'm glad for Michael Givens. Like, of course, I'm going to take that and Michelle Deson waiting in the wings, who we'll talk about later. I'll absolutely take that. But yeah, those three guys are are definitely, for me, they're so exciting because, like I said, every description you hear about them is how, what intelligent hitters they are and, and how dedicated they are to their craft. And that floor is just so safe with them. So I want to see which of those guys really breaks out. Like we're talking about a long list of second base prospects here in the system, which is is weird, but it's, it's really cool to be talking about this this trio. And there's some more in this top 50 list that we have.
0: Yeah, we really have not scratched the surface as far as second baseman goes on this list.
2: <laughs> I want to bring up, I mentioned this before we came on as well, uh, this 15 to 20 range is my absolute favorite on this entire list uh, because you know the top prospects are, are who they are. They're, we're hoping one or two emerge and carry this franchise. But when you got Gene Pinto, and we don't know how high that ceiling is, but like just how good is Gene Pinto? Like, does Michael Hernandez live up to some of those comps that were placed on him last year when the Orioles signed him? I mean, you heard what Manny Machado comps, A-Rod comps, like physically speaking. Um, you know, does Drew Rom make me look really smart because I've been – that's a hill that I said I'm going to die on, <laughs> that I think he's a step above these other left-handed pitching prospects. Like, does he break into the major leagues uh, and have uh, a good success there? Sammy Basayo, uh, like how many windows on the warehouse is he going to destroy when if he gets up to major leagues? What do we get out of Cesar Preto and even Hudson Haskin? Like, you know, is he a future 2020 center fielder? I mean, I just think the potential with this group is enormous. The risk is high, but the potential is just through the roof with these these five or six guys.
1: Yeah, this is right where we're seeing the potential of these international signings and just the ceilings that they have and you know it's I could easily see Samuel Basalo or Michael Hernandez just lighting it up this year in FCL getting promoted to Del Marva and then making a case to be top 100 type of prospects kind of like Kobe Mayo did uh, this past season so a lot of lot of high ceilings here to go along with you know a little bit of the floors with the the Norbies and the Vavras and creators of the world you got Michael Hernandez, Braylon Tavara, Samuel Basalo. I mean, they could, in a year or two, be in the 40 to 50 range or off the list, or they could be top 10. So it's exciting to see those types of players in the system. And then just Drew Rahm. I mean, this guy is going to be perennially underrated until he's like starting the All-Star game in three years or something.
0: Nick, there was one sentence I was really happy to see you include in your report on Drew Rahm because I've been beating this drum for almost a year now. And that's don't be lazy and put him in the same bucket as well as Lothar or Zimmerman as this quote, soft tossing lefty. I,
2: I hate that term so much. And I know I have probably set up myself too, but uh, just in the moment, lack of you know better adjectives, I guess. But I absolutely hate that, especially with Drew Rom because there was a velo increase. He can't, maybe he can't sustain it. I'll give him that. But like he can hit 94, 95 miles an hour on the gut, um, and just you have to to watch him. Like I don't have the scouting background here to sit here and pick apart specifically what it is that separates Drew Rom. But when you watch Drew Rom pitch, you understand and you get it. And, and I am a firm believer in Rom's abilities. And just like uh, Gunner Henderson here, Rom is uh, a whole year older. He's just 21, so he was about three or four years younger than the competition. About three years younger than the competition in Bowie where he struck out like 10 and a half guys per nine innings, which is, just, it's unbelievable. Stop fixating on his velo. Watch this guy pitch. You'll fall in love. I promise.
0: I do want to go to Pinto here because what he did last year was impressive. 66 and two thirds innings between the FCL and Del Marva, struck out 84, only walked 17. He just turned 21 a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of January, probably going to be in high a Aberdeen next year. Bob, we were on Pinto pretty early last summer after really not knowing what's about him. Just kind of give us a background on what makes what makes you think that Pinto is a really good prospect.
1: It's the name. No. It's <laughs> a, it's a fact that I mean this kid is so young, but he's so he works so fast, he's so aggressive, he knows what he's doing, he came in with the game plan, he's just executing it and with confidence. And he's got three great pitches that look pretty similar coming out of the hand and he uses them as a weapon he's got a fastball that can touch them in 90s he's got a nice change up a nice breaking ball he's just he's got it all and the only thing holding him down I feel like is his height but I think we've seen plenty of shorter type uh pitchers make it in the major leagues before so I'm not too concerned about that worst case maybe he could be like a electric closer type or late inning arm but he's just he's fun to watch he he works fast like I said and and I think he can move fast, too. I think he's going to start in Aberdeen. And if he just keeps doing what he was doing l- last year, then he'll be in double-A before you know it. And then you got, what, a 21-year-old or a 20-year-old in double-A uh, and an electric arm like that? That's just that's exciting
2: stuff. I mean, it, it's hard not to think of like a, a Marcus Stroman when you watch Gene Pinto pitch. Just, yeah, he might be smaller, but he's so electric. And you, you see how much – He's having out there on the mound with each and every pitch. Um, uh, hitters, hitters not hit him at all. I mean, the guy doesn't throw a straight fastball. So those low A hitters were definitely not touching him. I, I am very anxious to see what he does in high A, because I will give him that. You know, he is on the smaller side. He's listed at 5'11, so we know he could be 5'10, <laughs> he could be 5'9. I don't know. Um, you know, Felix Batista is what listed what six four? No. Uh the guy's a, a behemoth. Um so yeah, it's I don't know. Like We got that, that uh, word from a, a scout that he thinks this one particular scout thinks that like only Grace Rodriguez and DL Hall have a higher ceiling in this organization. And if that's the truth, then that's extremely high praise. And this is that organization finding some absolute gems uh, in from other squads.
0: So before, on, before we move on to the next group, I do want to touch on Braylon Tavera a little bit. We talked about him a lot on our last show when Kobe Perez was on switch hitting center fielder of the Orioles just signed for a franchise record, $1.7 million in the international market. Um, Let's start with Nick here. We obviously have a long way to go with Tavera, but in terms of projectability, there's a lot to like here.
2: And it's, it is, you hear the Orioles say potential five tool player and a lot of other organizations were high on him. So the Orioles were able to snag him though. Um, Projects as a center sort of fielder, you like to hear that. That there's no concern right now of you know moving to a corner spot or something. Uh, but yeah, the hardest thing is like, where do you slot a guy like Taver on this list? That was almost impossible task for me. Um, he he got that $1.7 million bonus. So I, I think I saw someone else who I respect in, in the community. Um, he's more fantasy focused, but I respect his opinion. Uh and he was like, I don't, I kind of give up on where do I slot these international guys on my list. And he's like, I'm just gonna go by signing bonus. Uh, so for right now, like, I feel like that was kind of what we did. And we ended up on our list ahead of Michael Hernandez, ahead of Basayo. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's the one that I have a lot of questions about because, you know, when you watch video of Michael Hernandez, like you could see the little Machado, a esque a uh, little glimpses there. And when you see Basayo swing a baseball bat, you're just like enamored. With Tavera, like I never really got those like warm and fuzzy vibes, but everything you hear about him is so positive. So it's just like, I want to see him play which I know it might be a little while before I do that, but I want to see him on the field.
1: I'm sure we'll see some Instagram videos at some point here for the <laughs> summer. But uh, yeah, I was going to say, this was definitely these guys, uh, Tavera Te- and maybe a couple other guys that might pop up a little bit later on the list. Definitely the toughest on where to rank, especially even Hernandez and Basayo. I feel like I have a better grasp of them, even though we still haven't really seen them play. I just feel like the longer in this, they're in the system, the more things you hear, you kind of can just get a feel. For where at least what the organization thinks of them, but between Tavera Hernandez, and Basayo, I was—I'll probably say Basayo is just my favorite of those three, just because of that beautiful left-handed swing with ridiculous power. But yeah, um, i did, i did—I was kind of at a loss, but I like you said that that signing bonus he got like a half a million dollars more than those guys, so obviously he he must be at least at that stage considered a little bit more talented than anywhere.
0: We'll move on now to the 21 through 30 ranked prospects on our list. At number 21, Joey Ortiz, the defensive stalwart who was having a huge breakout offensively between Aberdeen and Bowie before a shoulder injury cut his 2021 season short. At number 22, Demai Jones, who went from being a favorite of Orioles Twitter to having some ups and downs at AAA and ultimately made his major league debut late in the season. Number 23, John Rhodes, a 2021 draft pick with some interesting tools, who has played both infield and outfield at his time at the University of Kentucky, though he's primarily been an outfielder since joining the Orioles' system. Number 24, left-hander Zach Lothar, who bounced back and forth between Norfolk and Baltimore last year. Number 25, Reed Trimble, toolsy outfield prospect, who unfortunately is going to miss at least the first few months of the 2022 season with an injury. At number 26, Kevin Smith, a left-handed pitcher who was added to the 40-man roster earlier this offseason despite some ups and downs once he got promoted to AAA Norfolk last summer. At number 27, Anthony Servidio, another promising infielder whose season was cut short by injury. At number 28, Carter Baumler, who should be back on the mound this year after undergoing Tommy Don surgery late in 2020. We're all three pretty high on him, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. At number 29, Zach Peek. The pitcher was one of the best, if not the best case strut in the Orioles farm system who made a lot of progress last year between low A Delmarva and high A Aberdeen. And at number 30, Kyle Bronovich, the right-handed pitcher who pitched at Aberdeen and Bowie last year and has maybe the nastiest curveball. Okay, no, it's just the nastiest <laughs> knuckle curveball in all of the Orioles farm system. So that's 21 through 30. I'll just start right at the top, which is Joey Ortiz, a guy that we're all three high on. Tim Dijon backed up a lot of the positives that we've had about Joey Ortiz. Matt Blood hyped him a lot, as Bob mentioned earlier on this show. And I'll start with Bob here. If Ortiz is healthy and good to go um, on opening day this year, I believe you've already projected him for Bowie's infield. What do you expect from him?
1: Sorry, Zach. Before I, I get to that, I wanted to answer this question from the Mad Behemoth about why Rank Hernandez ahead of Basayo. I just think, you know, before we move on from that previous group, for me, it's just the premium position of shortstop. Seems like he's going to be a guy that can stick at that position. And he's a five-tool type of guy, you know, that's going to hit for average, going to hit for some power, can field and run. So that's why for me, even though because Basayo might eventually have to switch to first base, the H type, you never know with his size, still a lot of room to grow which if you look at Jordan, Jordan Alvarez, which is kind of like the dream scenario, that would not be too shabby. But just for me, that's that's what it is. What do you guys think?
2: I, I think that was a perfect answer. That's exactly what I would say too. It's that positional risk with Basayo. Is he going to become a first baseman? And he is just so, so young. Like, Is he going to be able to hit 35, 40 home runs a year and play good first base? We, we have no idea yet. But Hernandez, shortstop, premium position. That's why I give him just a slight nod above.
0: Yeah, I agree, and it's close. I don't think that there's a substantial gap between those two, but the positional value that I think Hernandez is going to offer at shortstop or even third base if he ends up moving over there eventually is pretty high, whereas with Basayo, it's either going to be a lot of years to develop or perhaps moving off a position and going somewhere else.
1: Yeah, but back to Joey Ortiz, who I had – uh, at 16, I think I was the high man on him. I'm just so confident in his floor. Like, I think he could play at the major leagues right now, just especially defensively. He might get overwhelmed at the plate, but until he develops a little bit more, but that fielding is just elite. And I feel like the way Matt Blood speaks about him and the way he he transformed himself and just has improved, it seems like he's got the work ethic and the drive to get better and better and better. And I just see him eventually being like. Uh, Maybe Jose Iglesias type who can hit enough to to stick as a regular shortstop in the major leagues and and field enough to make it uh, worthwhile. So that for me is pretty valuable. So I think one of these guys is either going to fail out or or get traded. I I just I hope we don't trade Joey Ortiz because I think he's going to be fun to watch in an Oriole uniform. Yeah,
2: the defense major League gritty and he is many steps above like the Caden Greniers, the Mason McCoys. Those guys are also like major league caliber gloves, but a lot of questions, a lot of issues with the bats. Um, Ortiz, three years ago, if we would have done the show, going into the 2019 season or before the 2020 season, um, you know, in anticipation of there being a 2020 season when this podcast started, uh, which we all know now there there wasn't. But, um, you know, Joey Ortiz, we would have had a lot of questions about that bat. And then that was the big thing that transformed with him. Was the bat. He only needed 19 games in high A before the Orioles said, You're good. You're going to double A. Um, he didn't hit, hit any home runs in Aberdeen, but 16 games in Bowie, he hit four home runs. So you saw the power come around. The strikeout rates are pretty good. They're respectable, around 20% last year. Walk rate, around 10% for the year, you know, 35, 40 games or so. Small sample size, I don't get that. But the bats came around, and I'm anxious to see what he can do across the full season in double A AA and triple A with that bat. If he can be a 280, 290 hitter, Next year, and hit for power, and still play that premier defense. Yeah, this is definitely a guy who's going to be knocking the door of the major leagues pretty soon.
0: Yeah, I think the key that with Ortiz is you were hearing a lot about the improved exit velocities, which is a sign to me that's sustainable. Because I think normally you would look at what he did over a small sample size last year and say, "Oh, you know, he's not going to um, sustain that going forward." But the exit velocities being up, the hearing about the work that he put in over the offseason season, or I would guess really the prolonged hiatus before the 2021 season to get stronger kind of leads me to believe that this is going to be sustainable as long as he recovers.
1: Yeah. And that is the question you know, he was a shoulder strainer. he had surgery on his shoulder, I think it was non-throwing. So that's good at least, but you never know how someone's going to come back from surgery, but just the way that, like you said, he he put in that work in between seasons, then you got to feel like he's, he's going to do the work again to get back to where he was.
0: Speaking of coming back from injury, I'll go to Carter Baumler here, who is ranked 28th on our list. As I mentioned earlier, he had Tommy John um, in the fall of 2020, missed the entire 2021 season. Was a prospect who had been drafted out of high school in Iowa before that, the Orioles went over slot to get him in the 2020 draft. There was a lot of hype surrounding him before the injury. And now that he's coming back from that injury, we're seeing a lot of clips on social media where he looks pretty good. The thing to keep in mind, though, is that this is a really young pitcher. So kind of balancing those things, Nick, what do you think we see from Balmler uh, in 2022?
2: Probably not too, too much, just because I'm curious to see, like, what is his innings limit going to be? I imagine it's not too ridiculously high, um, but he's definitely the, the prospect that I am probably most excited to watch this year, just because... We didn't get to watch him in 2020. We didn't get to watch him last year. And this is someone who like pretty much no one outside of Orioles fandom is really talking about. Uh, And I get it. You know, you're a high school draft pick out of Iowa who hasn't pitched in two years. And don't quote me on this, but I thought I saw something when I was doing more research on him that there was some disruption, injury or something. I don't know, but some disruption for his junior year of high school as well. So, I mean, it's been years since he's regularly taken the mound in competitive games. But like if he performs as well as the scouting report suggests, uh, I think he was hitting like 95 at the alt site before that injury. Um, then the Orioles have themselves yet another pitching prospect to add to this apparently barren cupboard here that they have. Uh, and he's, he's an exciting prospect too. I think is up there with the Gene Pintos, Grace Rodriguez and Dio Hall as, as far as this extremely high ceiling. Uh, again, wide range of outcomes here with Baumler, but the potential is definitely there.
1: Yeah, and like some contribute says, Baumler overcame the Elias wall against drafting pitchers early, and yeah, I'm kind of going to write about that a little bit in an article coming up later this week, but when the Orioles take a high schooler early on or a pitcher early on, you have to know they're confident in that. I mean, the only high schoolers that Elias has taken outside of some guys in like 2019 rounds 35 through 40 are Carter Baumler, Kobe Mayo, Gunnar Henderson, Daryl Hernandez and Creed Willems. So, right there, that's a select group. And I think Baumler is one of the few pitchers that Elias and company has taken over the past few years from the draft that has true, like, top or middle of the rotation upside. I think there was a video that he hit 98 on the gun on Twitter. I could, from the angle, you can't tell if it's just from his regular pitch motion or if he's kind of running into it a little bit, but still the fact that he's back to that point already is pretty exciting. And like Nick said, as long as he's healthy and he's probably going to start in the FCL and we'll see what happens from there. But if he's healthy and shows off the stuff that he had when the Orioles drafted him, then he's probably going to be in the teens this time next year.
2: And I think too, if I remember correctly, other teams offered him more money in the draft and he turned them down and said, no, I'm going to, cause he was a TCU commit for baseball and football. He was a punter. I think he was going to punt on the football team as well. Like He took less money, reportedly, to sign with the Orioles. So I think that's a neat little wrinkle in his story as well, that he chose the Orioles.
0: Encouraging sign for how he sees his development system, and hopefully we see him on the mound in 2022 getting a lot of good innings in. Bob, I'll turn this over to you. When you look at this group of 21 to 30 outside of Ortiz and Baumler, Uh, who we've just talked about, what stands out to you?
1: Soft toss and lefties, you know, (laughs) Zach Lothar and Kevin Smith. No, no, that's interesting that they've kind of tumbled down. I think Lothar more just because he's kind of reached the major leagues and he's hit a wall there, but other guys have passed him as far as ceiling goes. And Kevin Smith, we've talked about his struggles enough. But really the highlight for me at this group is 29 and 30, Zach Peake and Branovich. just two guys that I'm very excited about from the pulling out of the bear cupboard to you know pour coffee into it. I don't know that analogy went <laughs> nowhere but I think these guys bare minimum are going to be really really solid relievers at the major league level and I think if things break right they could certainly be starting pitchers at the major league level we talked about Bronovich's breaking ball and he just had so much success at the AA level last year and then Zach Peake he's a friend of the show been on the podcast but besides that forgetting that he's just an Got excellent stuff on the mound and got supreme strikeout capabilities. And I'm hoping that continues when he gets to double-A this year.
2: Yeah. Branovich is the most mind-boggling, I think, pitcher in this entire system, in my opinion. And I think Zach might be the one that was actually the highest on him recently. Uh, I can't remember to our, our past list, but like I had a front row seat to watch this kid dismantle opponents in college. And it was really easy to see why. He was Able to dominate mid-major CAA bats, but like this was his first year of pro ball after he was drafted in what 2019 didn't pitch because he was an angels pitching prospect. 2020 gets wiped out, so last year is his first year of pro ball, gets the double A, and he's striking out almost 12 guys per nine this season across the two levels. Like, Phipps around three, three and a half total. He's walking nobody. He had a whip of 0.84 in high A and 1.14 in double A, doesn't have the big velo numbers. Like I, I just wanna know what makes him this such dominant pitcher at the double A level so far. Um and I'm curious to see can he do it against AAA hitters? That's my big question. But like I just that's the guy that I wanna I need to pick somebody's brain about him and what makes him so successful. Cause you look at a lot of the intangibles and you say and that's guy's probably gonna get hit around a little bit. Um but Branovich is like Bob mentioned, that's back of the rotation potential here still with, with Branovich.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that what separates Branovitz a little bit from some of the other right-handers we're going to get to on this list a little bit later on is just if he can pretty much put his fastball anywhere he wants. And then he's got that knuckle curve then and pits. When I look at that, I think bare minimum solid long, the middle inning reliever. Uh, but if he can put it together and he can work through the more advanced competition at AAA and get to the majors, I could see him sticking in the back of a rotation. For the record, I actually had him 31st on my list, just outside the top 30. It was a really close call for me, I'll be honest. Like Looking back at my own list, the 26th through 32nd, I pretty much could have put those players in any order. But Bronovitz, I'm pretty high on.
1: Yeah, as we get lower on the list, it's harder to differentiate as much. So, you know, don't feel slighted if you're twenty-eight versus twenty-four or anything. But another guy I'd like to shout out here is Anthony Servidio, who just so disappointing that he didn't get at least a half a season, if not a full season in last year. He walks like eighty percent of the time. But when he when he I'd like to see what he can do when he actually puts the ball in play, um, we know he can field just another one of these middle infield prospects that the Orioles are collecting and he shows a lot of potential. Hopefully he's healthy this year and can get a chance to really uh, make his mark.
2: Speaking of middle infielders, before we move on to the next group, um, any excitement still with Jemai Jones, or is it just kind of he's there? Something happens great. If not, oh, well.
0: He's so athletic that I can't write him off completely, but I think that his defense at second base to me is so enigmatic because he can make a great play one inning and then the next one box of routine play and I got a chance to see him you know not just watching Norfolk games but to see him in person at the major leagues last year the guy plays hard I, I don't think it's like a mental thing or a lack of effort the guy plays hard but it's just for some reason there's just not much consistency to his defense he's always had a kind of a swing and miss tendency to his game so the bat I think is a little bit limited now If I had to guess right now, what I if I had to tell you what I would be happy with from Jamai Jones, it's a utility player that plays second, left, and center, gets you a little bit of power with the bat, has a lot of speed, not a bad guy to throw out there um, off your bench and maybe start one or two days a week. Do I see him as an everyday player at second base? No, not unless his defense gets a lot better.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I could see him... He has the tools, right? I mean, you hear about guys that are some are greater than its parts. Well, to me, it's like with Jamai Jones so far, the parts are greater than the sum because you can see the power. You can see he's made plays in the field that are exciting. You can see if he puts it all together, he's going to be a really solid player. And I think, like Zach said, the best place for that would be like a utility guy that can play second left and maybe a little bit of center field in a pinch. You know, a good guy to have on the bench, maybe, you know, one of these 18 second base prospects will push him out of that job, but I think I think he has a chance to have a little bit of a major league career here if he just puts it together a little bit.
2: Yeah. I'm just saying, you know there was this whole Twitter blow up bring up Jamai Jones and the Orioles said no, he's got to improve the defense. I don't know if they ever said specifically second base defense because like the next night they ran out Jamai Jones in left field for like a week straight. And then they moved the wall back uh, at the end of the season that that's what it was they're preparing Jemai jones for to start in left field over dj stewart next year but no i think i think he probably starts in realistically i think he probably starts in triple a again let Odor and mateo fight it out and see if they can stick at second base for a little bit and then probably once he realize one or both of those guys don't cut it maybe jones gets another chance but yeah i was just curious if there's still any excitement with Jemai jones a little bit i guess
1: yeah, I don't know about excitement, but I still have some interest in his in his career. And speaking of Julio, Jorge Mateo, I probably, uh, he's probably going to be terrible this year because I just bought an autographed rookie card of his uh, recently. So sorry about that.
0: I, th- I got scared for a second. I thought you were going to say you bought his jersey, and I thought, oh, no, there he goes.
1: <laughs> Not that far. <laughs> Not yet.
0: So before we move on to the next group, I do want to point out something that Nick uh, wrote in his report on John Rhodes. And this is how he starts to report off. We might be the outlet who is highest on roads, and that's perfectly fine. There have been some outlets. I know MLB Pipeline did not add Rhodes to their top 30 until after Alexander Wells graduated off their list late in the 2021 season. And the reports coming out of the draft, and I noted this at the time, were all over the map on Rhodes. Some suggested that this was you know, a good college power hitter who just had a bad start to 2021 that he couldn't quite get his way out of and needs a little bit of work on his defense, but that the floor is fairly high and he might put it all together. Then there are others where it's got a good arm but doesn't have enough experience in the outfield, strikes out too much. So it's all over the map with his reports. And Nick, I just kind of want to get, how has your impression of Rhodes evolved since he came into the system?
2: I mean, I still have a lot of questions. I don't have a full grasp of him yet, but it it was, he flashed a lot. That was just interesting to me. Like I just, for whatever reason, I just feel like, you know, the, the parts were there. You talk about Jamiah Jones and his parts. I feel like there's a lot of individual good parts with John Rhodes. It's just a matter of like, are the Orioles going to be able to fit all those pieces together and turn him into a good baseball player? Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of the issue as well was he had a really bad year at Kentucky uh, and he was so young and instead of going coming back to college, he joined the Orioles. I think he joined the right organization to help try to fix him. Uh, and we'll see if he develops in anything. But, yeah, with that bad year at Kentucky and just no consensus opinion on him, it's hard to, to guess. But I liked a lot of the pieces that I saw of him last year in that short time in Delmarva.
1: Yeah, Sean Rhodes, I feel like I've said this on here before, but I just feel like his name is so generic. People don't know what to make of him, and I'm including myself in that but uh, I think he's a little more unique than than that suggests. I feel like this is the guy that could play literally any position in college. Didn't he play catcher and infield and outfield? So I feel like he's kind of like a blank piece of clay that the Orioles can kind of mold and really make into their own, which the way this uh, development team is, has gone so far is not a bad thing. I think he's athletic. He's got the tools, again, like He's got some speed. He's got a little bit of power. Could be like a twenty-twenty type of guy, and and that's not a bad thing to have.
0: My impression from the one game that I saw Rhodes in person last year is that he's got the right base to build from, which is a good arm and good raw power. So there is something to work with there. It's just that he is still a pretty raw player at this point, and you're going to have to work with him a lot. But I think that. There's definitely something there, so I'm interested to see what he does next year. And I kind of wonder if this is maybe the Zach Watson, Kyle Stowers type player who we don't know a lot about coming out of college, reports are all over the map, and then in 2022, he breaks out. Sounds good to me. So we'll move on now to 31 through 40 on our list. Number 31, right-handed pitcher Garrett Stallings, who was acquired along with Gene Pinto in that trade for Jose Iglesias with the angels before the 2021 season stallings turned in good numbers between Aberdeen and Bowie last year, despite an abnormally high home run to fly ball rate number 32, miss a L day who broke out the Florida complex league last year. And quickly is becoming one of the fastest rising prospects in the Orioles farm system. And number 33 is the flip side of that. Yusniel Diaz who at this time last year was in our top 10, but has now fallen after an injury plague season at triple a Norfolk, at number 34 is Zach Watson, who I just mentioned a moment ago as a breakout player in 2021 who put up a 2020 season between Aberdeen and Bowie. Number 35, a name you need to remember, Brandon Young, right-handed pitcher uh, who came up with good numbers this year. One
2: Uh-oh. A <laughs> I can run through the rest. Uh, 36, we got left-handed Luis Ortiz, international arm. 37, shortstop, the no, recent international signing, Leandro Arias. 38, infielder Ryland Bannon. 39, outfielder Robert Newstrom. And then 40, Edwin Amparo, the recent international signing. I think Zach's back. So.
0: You got to love Google Chrome.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you, Nick. <laughs>
2: i don't know where you guys want to go with this group uh but i would like to start with this group
1: right here 32 33 34 it's kind of like a a pretty nice grouping of outfielders here one of these is not like the other three guys moving in different directions we got michelle DeSone and zach watson on the way up in different ways but then you see the is kind of on the way down so it's a disappointment sandwich and i don't know what do you guys think i think um desone we've talked about him a lot we love him we love his skills he's got a chance to start at delmarva and really really put a dent in going up this list this year and zach watson noted power hitter what do you guys think out of all these guys
2: so for me like they saw yeah he's he's turning up in a massive way uh 19 he's gonna be 19 years old pretty much all of next season so that's going to be common young uh, international signing or acquired by a trade and is like 18, 19 years old in Delmarva. That's going to be a really fun team to watch. Um, Zach Watson. I've said it before. I said it in my report, you love the power. I like the defense. I like the overall player, but like I, I need to see him hit for a higher average. I need him to get on base more than what's like a 280, 290 on base percentage. That's not going to cut it, but we saw a lot of huge gains from him last year. So it's it's about progression. It's baby steps here, and, and he took a lot of steps. Um, Diaz. I feel like a, a lot of people are going to say, "Why the heck is he still on this list?" And I get that, but I just I'd, I've said before that like I jumped off the hype train. I was one of the last people on the using the Diaz train, and I was off. But I'm like jogging behind the train, like just not totally willing, just let it go. Um, just because like the arm is so beautiful in right field, the defense is so good, and. He has all the skills to be a decent uh, league average, just slightly above league average major leaguer, major league right fielder. But those injuries, I, I don't think he's ever going to overcome those.
0: Yeah, I've started to kind of lose hope of Diaz overcoming those injuries, despite all the things that Nick said, and I completely agree. When you watch him when he's healthy, the arm in right field is something else. And I was, you know, someone who leading up to last year was saying not just on this show, but I went on Connor Newcomb's show, locked on Orioles, and said the same thing. You really got to watch Diaz's defense. I don't think he gets enough credit for his defense, what he can do in the corners. And you occasionally still see that big-time power, but the problem is that he has just had injury after injury, and it's getting harder for him to be profiled as an impact player in this system, especially because the outfielders below him are getting so much better. DeSon was actually in my top 30. I had him 30th. I think that he has the makings of an outfielder who is above average across the board with all five tools. I think he's going to put together a pretty good year at Delmarva and with a pretty lanky frame. I think he's listed like 6'3, 175. I think there's still a lot of room to fill out and hit for more power. And Zach Watson, I think um, the power is legitimate. I really think that he's going to be able to stick around for a while because of that. The key for him is just going to be that walk rate because if he doesn't get the walk rate up a little bit more, I have a hard time seeing him being more than a fourth outfielder in the major leagues. But if he gets that up a little bit, you're looking at a guy with a fairly high ceiling and someone who might be nice to have in left field late next year alongside Cedric Mullins in center field.
1: If you want an example of the Orioles' depth, just look at Robert Newstrom sitting at 39th-ranked prospect, who is a guy who could potentially make the Orioles roster out of swing training, could get taken in the Rule 5 draft, probably somebody at the very least is going to make his Major League debut this year and have a chance to be a you know, pretty productive player in the outfield. So for a guy to not even be top 38 in the system, pretty good.
2: Yeah, any... Go back since we're talking about Diaz, this is kind of a, a downer group here. Um, Diaz is bringing down the group, it's not a downer group, it's an exciting group. Um, but Rylan Bannon at 38, like same question as I forget who I asked this about earlier, Jamiah Jones, I guess. Uh, but like Rylan Bannon, is there any we'll say intrigue this time with Rylan Bannon, or is he just AAA depth at this point, holding down a roster spot?
1: Most likely that's what it is, but that one two week stretch was so good and his batting average for balls in play was so abysmally bad i have no idea what <clears throat> excuse me i have no idea what to make of his season last year and i just feel like you got to wipe that off the just forget about it and, and go see how he does in spring training and see how he does in the beginning of next year and i think there's a chance that he could bounce back a little bit and i'm not saying it's a great chance but i do think it is there
0: Yeah, I had a hard time trying to figure out what to do with Bannon on this list for some of the reasons that Bob just mentioned. Um, The numbers were bad at AAA last year. There's no way around that. But he also had a low batting hours on balls in play. Wasn't healthy for most of the year. I still hold out some slightest little bit of hope that he gets off to a healthy start at Norfolk this year. We see the bat come back to what it was before, which was a guy who got on base a lot and could hit the ball hard, even if he wasn't necessarily hitting for home run power. And that at the worst, he profiles as maybe a nice 4A major league reserve infielder um, who gives you decent production at the bat at two positions. So there's a little bit, I think Bannon's floor is a little bit higher than his numbers suggest, but there's obviously some issues there after last season. Mm -hmm
1: could definitely see him being a guy on the roster that is kind of like a constantly in A until there's an injury, then they bring him up, then they send him down. And while he has options, he could have value to the team. But maybe once the options run out or he hits arbitration, then he might be in trouble.
2: Yeah. Vivek had a, a great comment there, too, the walk rate. I mean, it was almost 14%. Take that uh, with you know a 176 Babbitt. No, he hit 176. What was his Babbitt? I didn't even put it in the reports so on him in front of me. It's remarkably low. I'm it was like it one late. something. Yeah. Uh, so like, and I know that's not like an immediate, like, oh, low Babbitt, bad luck. I mean, it's not that cut and dry, that simple, but still, like, there's got to be something with that. And the oblique injury thing, I kept using that as my crutch, saying like, oh, the oblique injury, that can linger for weeks and weeks, even after a player returns. But he went on that massive tear, 10 home runs in 10 games. And then after that stretch, though, he hit like one something. Uh, with a bunch of strikeouts and very few walks. So it's it's tough to diagnose for Alan Bannon. But I will say, too, the defense at third base, I always had questions about. I feel a lot more confident of him being able to play third base at the major league level now. So there's some positives there with him, at least. His, his batting average was... was oh, go ahead,
1: Bob. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Zach. Uh, it was an identical 176 BABIP to his average. And for his career, uh, in 2019 with AAA, he had a 338 BABIP, 294, 243, 367, 360. So... Definitely out of the ordinary for him.
0: Focusing on another player on this list, I'm going to go with Brandon Young, who has come a long way in the last few months in our rankings. Nick, you were on Brandon Young early, as in right after he signed with the Orioles in 2020. So I guess really then you're not surprised that we're here a little less than two years later talking about Brandon Young as a top 40 prospect in the system.
2: I mean a little bit only because, like I was super excited about Brandon Young because he was this undrafted free agent. And I know it was after a five round draft. So yeah, you'd be saying guys like JD Mundy, Brandon Young, TT Bowens, or probably be top 10 round picks in a normal draft year, but still he's got that UDFA tag next to his name. Um, twenty thousand dollar signing, and you're able to get a guy who's six six. And I just thought looking at him, you could plug him in the bullpen in Del Marva opening day and he's in buoy by the end of the year and this guy's in the major league bullpen spot next year like that kind of a fast riser but he pitched so well as a starter like keep him as a starter let's see what he can do um he i imagine he probably starts in aberdeen again but hopefully finishes the year in buoy and he's just big powerful arm let's see what he can do as a starter across the full season and and go from there he's got a good safety net though to fall back on as as a power reliever
1: Yeah, if he can get off to a good start, get to double-A, then he's putting himself, at least with me, in the same grouping as, like, uh, Burnovich, Peek, Garrett Stallings. He's that kind of arm. Like, that's a, you know, fringe starter, but solid reliever type of guy. And, yeah, I think he's right there with them. It's uh, just more proof about the the cupboard and the bear and all that stuff.
2: Yeah. And it was comforting, too, when we had John Mielio, on, I don't know which episode uh, that he was on, and he mentioned, like, yeah, the Orioles have taken notice too, and the Orioles are also big fans of Brandon Young and his potential. So, it's always good to see get that uh, a confirmation. Guys, we get high on, um, you know, we, we saw we didn't put I don't think we put the video out the Kobe Prez interview, uh, but you know, when, we you him Pinto, when we asked about Gene Pinto, we asked about Gene Pinto. There was there was a smile. He he loosened up. Uh, so it's it's good to see confirmation from the Orioles uh, and those inside the Orioles organization have connections to the Orioles organization uh, say that yeah, the guys we've been high on. Um, Orioles are as well. So keep an eye on Brady Young next year.
0: So looking at the rest of this list. I'll cover the two other pitchers on here, and that's Garrett Stallings at number 31 and Luis Ortiz at number 36. Uh, different ends of the spectrum at this point. Stallings is probably going to start next year at double A. Uh, Ortiz, up and down results at the Florida Complex League last year, but could go to Delmarva next year as a young left-hander with an intriguing mix of pitches, which Nick noted in his report. And we'll touch on that in a minute. But, Bob, I'll start with you looking at these two pitchers, Stallings and Ortiz. We know there's question marks, but there's some upside there. Just kind of give us your general impression.
1: Yeah, I'm really big on Garrett Stallings, on uh, him having a bounce-back season. I've talked about it multiple times. If you listen to our On the Verge dailies, at the beginning of the offseason when I did a profile on Stallings, talked about his home run to fly ball ratio and how out of the ordinary it was and how that's not something a pitcher can really control, but it was very high. So I think as long as that comes down to about league average levels, then I think he's going to be uh, catching some some people's eyes who look at the box scores because the guy doesn't walk many guys. He, he struck out more than I expected him to. He made it up to double A, so he's already kind of at that point to where he's right at the next step. So yeah, I'm pretty high on him and Luis Ortiz again, I think he's got the stuff to be a really productive pitcher who could really rise up this list. I think he missed some time, not exactly sure why during the season. He had some starts where he was just incredible, just striking out everybody he faced, and then he had some rough outings as well. So just want to see some consistency there, but another guy that was the international signing for Big money at the time, him and uh, Luis Gonzalez, who we'll get to in a little bit in that class. So interested to see how he does in full season ball. He should start in Del Marva.
2: With for me, Stallings, it's just it's all that home run fly ball rate slash ground ball rates are just so weird. I mean, there's something's got to stabilize there, and I think they will. Um, I know, you know, it seems like Stallings is one of those guys that either like you're intrigued or you're just like not intrigued at all. Uh, you just completely overlook him, and I get it. Um, he's he's a Chesapeake native, so he grew up in my neck of the woods. So I, I'm going to root a little extra harder for him there. But um, Luis Ortiz, like a lefty who could throw it in the mid-90s, and the curveball uh, right after he was signed, Orioles gave him $400,000 two years ago, I think, at this point. Like, it doesn't take a scout's trained eye to see that that curveball being thrown by some 17-year-old kid, uh, 17-year-olds really don't throw Not many 17-year-olds can throw a curveball like he did. Uh, haven't seen it in a while just because of 2020. And then, yeah, he pitched like hardly any last year in the FCL. But I hope he gets, makes it to Delmarva because it's it's a young international pitching signing that uh, we don't really get to see a whole lot of. And I'm anxious to see what Ortiz can do next year.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I think this stuff is interesting with him. And with Stallings, I actually still had Stallings in my top 30. He was there at 29th for me because I just feel like you look at a guy who can generate ground balls at the rate he does. Doesn't walk anybody. The ceiling there is going to be pretty high. And I think that home run to fly ball rate, which was really the problem for him last year, is going to come down a little bit. He is one of those guys that I do have that concern about. Like, what is their adjustment to AAA going to look like? But I think if the Orioles give him some time to go back to Bowie next year, work on a few things, and then let him go through any rough patches that he encounters at Norfolk if he does. I think he's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, completely agree.
0: So before we move on from this group, um, Edwin Amparo, international free agent, or not, sorry, not Amparo, Leonardo Arias, number 37, um, and Edwin Amparo, both were international free agents, signed recently, switch hitting, shortstops, stops. Both uh, seem like they could stick to the position. or um, Arias seems to separate himself a little bit with the power projection, but both are young guys. Um, Nick, I'll let you start with this one. Looking at these two, based on the information we have right now, which is not that much, what do you think of Arias and Amparo?
2: Intriguing that they're switch hitting, both switch hitting shortstops with good power potential, but you mentioned it. it's From all the reports we've been able to watch, Arias has that – bigger power projection which is intriguing and you know you've seen out like fan graphs say like this is a guy that's i, I can't remember what he was at, like 40 45 future value they have him tabbed as i mean which would place him in the top 20 in the oriole system uh according to their list and, and it's all based on that power projection so if that plays out that that would be awesome but these are two when you got hernandez amparo and arias like it's 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 Gives me vibes of like that Delmarva opening day roster. We had Servideo and uh, Gunnar Henderson and Westberg. Like, Where are they all going to play? They'll figure it out mostly because you're probably going to have two Dominican summer league teams next year as well. But it's going to be fun to see those guys battle it out and be part of that next wave uh, of shortstop prospects that come up through this system. That's just, that's fed so deep. That's probably the deepest position in this organization at this point.
1: Yeah. They're very similar players from the looks of it. Switch hitting shortstops with good hit tools, some power projection, but it's just like Nick said, Arias has that a little more power projection in there, which will give him the edge. Yeah, it's pretty close, but until we see some results, if not video, then I'll probably just have Arias just a little bit ahead of Amparo at this point.
0: Yeah, I agree. And we'll move on now to the players who round out this list, which are number 41 through 50 at 41, Daryl Hernaiz, shortstop with good contact skills who spent last season at Loe Marva. At number 42, an infielder just behind him uh, on the Orioles' depth start, and that's Anderson De Los Santos, who's expected to start 2022 in the Florida Complex League after breaking out in the big way last year in the Dominican Summer League. At number 43, left-handed hitting college outfielder Dante Williams, who provides good defense in center field and a very patient plate approach. Number 44, mark this name down if you've not already. That's Raul Rangel, a right-handed pitcher who we are – expecting to break out in a big way with Delmarva in 2022 at number 45 Blaine Knight right-handed pitcher who had a bounce back here between Aberdeen and Bowie last year before struggling a little bit at Norfolk good stuff though so he hangs on to our list at number 46 Adam Hall who had his fair share of ups and downs at Aberdeen last year but still has elite speed to go with defensive versatility and some potential bounce back uh, possibilities at number 47 Infielder, outfielder Tyler Nevin, a patient hitter who stole some time in the major leagues last year, uh, despite putting up some up and down numbers at Norfolk. Number forty-eight, outfielder Luis Gonzalez, not great numbers from Gonzalez last year in the Florida Complex League, but all reports buy into the six-foot-four outfielder's power from the left side, so he's somebody to watch in the future. Number forty-nine, Ofelky Peralta, great comeback story last year. And the Orioles' farm system is he pits well between Bowie and Norfolk after struggling to get out of high A Frederick for three years. Uh, and we're interested to see what Peralta will do now that he's back in the organization on a new contract that he signed earlier in the offseason. And number 50, infielder Colin Burns, a six-round pick uh, in 2021, 2021 out of Tulane who put up pretty good numbers uh, last summer between the Florida Complex League and Delmarva. Now, going through that list, there is a pretty interesting theme to me, which is middle infielders with good contact skills, maybe not a ton of power projection, but solid skills across the board. Looking at guys like Burns, De La Santos, Pernayes. As you look at this group, and I'll start with you, Bob, what stands out to you?
1: To me, it's the bottom five or six guys are all dropping significantly from our last list. I think Tyler Nevin dropping 15 spots, Luis Gonzalez 12, Peralta 8, Blaine Knight 6. And a lot of that is just because a lot of guys have raised their stock and just advanced past them more than them uh, falling on their own. But Adam Hall, he must have fallen at least, what, 25, 30 spots since this time last year. It's really a tragic story, but you can't completely give up hope on him. But, um, yeah, at the top of this part of the list, Hernia, Taylor Santos, Williams, Ranghill even Knight, I think, could be a successful relief pitcher at the major league level. I feel like that's definitely where the growth is going to come from when you look at guys who could explode up the list or at least make a little bit of a jump. I think Dante Williams was, even by us, getting a little underrated after the draft. Just the more I see, the more I was watching him play in Marvel. he's got great uh, plate discipline, he plays a great outfield. I feel like he, and just because maybe he signed for under slot maybe, as a, I think he was a senior in Arizona or wherever he, he was drafted from. And maybe that kind of brought down, at least from speaking for myself, my expectations of what he could provide. But I really think he could be um, a pretty – he could be like the Zach Watson, I'll say, uh, of this group this time next year and move up the list in a surprise. So
2: that's what I'll say. I buy it. Um... Williams is definitely coming a lot more intriguing. Yeah, that 41 through 44 range for me, Herne is De Los Santos, Williams, and Ron Hell. I mentioned before the show, for whatever reason, like that, those names stood out to me in this section that I think at least one, hopefully more, but at least one I think really, truly breaks out this year in a major, major way. Uh, and, you know, we haven't watched a lot of De Los Santos or Ron Hell, but they're super excited guys. Um, I'm going to drive the Ron Hell hype train until he proves he doesn't have any more. Uh, I love seeing De Los Santos get that Matt blood hype. Uh, so he's, he's got that touch now. But like, I think of that group personally. Like, I think Carnes is going to be the guy for me. That might be the one, um, just because I think he's a guy that we might be sleeping on. Uh, speaking of that, like, the power wasn't there, but he was just 19 years old last year and still hit pretty well. Got on base at like a 33% clip. Like, that's that's pretty good i mean i know the big thing we've highlighted a lot is the walks the walks were a big issue walks took a big uh, decline last season but the strikeouts there were fewer strikeouts made good contact uh got on base there were many extended on base streaks with Hernays. um i just think he was so young didn't look over a match that he could turn things around next year in aberdeen uh but yeah that group is definitely a lot of intrigue there and, and potential
0: I'm going to go back to Ron Hell for a minute because um, I want to pull this from Nick's report. And this is uh, part of what Nick wrote about Ron Hell. The Velo now, now tops out in the mid 90s after pitching in the mid 80s just before signing with the Orioles. He's six foot three, with a lot of room to fill out and add more Velo. Ron Hell is extremely young and still pretty raw, but he's an international signing with a lot of potential, will be a great case study to follow closely in terms of how successful the organization can develop a raw, talented arm. So I really think that Ron Hell, if I'm looking at a breakout candidate, the stuff is there for him to do what Gene Pinto did last year, only over a full season. You know, We haven't had a chance to watch him pitch in person yet. We don't have a ton of video because he was just in the Florida Complex League, but all the reports that we're getting on him are glowing.
1: Yeah, for sure. And – yeah, I think I, I lost what I was gonna say. Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's he's tall. There's a lot of room to fill out, like I mentioned there. Uh, and I think you're gonna see more velo. And so I want to see what he can do across, you know, seventy to 100 innings next season, likely in full season of ball. Again, another like 19, 20 year old that's gonna be pitching. They're playing Intel Marva. Um, the rest of this list too. Like, God, I want a funky process to succeed. So freaking bad. Uh, it is unbelievable. Uh, I hope he does. I, I, and at this point, I just want them to say, look, you are our reliever. You're like a seventh inning guy, maybe not even a high leverage guy, but you're a, a mid low leverage reliever here, but it's just a power arm. That's, I think he could be electric in one inning stints. Um, the name for me here, Tyler Nevin, I know uh shout out to the patrons. I know there was some discussion about our ranking of Nevin in there and it is interesting. I think like, I mentioned in my report that he didn't look overmatched. He looked pretty comfortable at the plate, and he only had like you know six games at the major league level. But you see the major league body uh, there, but like the defense is just so bad in the outfield and at third base. Like he's first base DH. The on base percentage wasn't great, Um, but I guess he had decent K to walk numbers. He's got good power. Sixteen home runs while playing a lot of his games in Harbor Park is impressive. Like I just don't know what to think about uh, Tyler Nevin. Like, am I? Should I be more excited, or is this guy just kind of a, like we mentioned with Ryland Bannon, kind of for you know, a good quality depth? Yeah, I think that excitement is definitely
1: gone from Nevin. If there I never had that much excitement of him. I think he's kind of just – he is what he is. He's a solid first-base prospect, but not to the level of a Tristan Casas, Ryan Council or anything. He, he kind of is what he is. He's going to hit like 250, 260, jack a couple bombs, and can stand at first base for you. More of a bench player, so – I think he's he's kind of hit his his ceiling so to speak maybe there's a little bit more in there but he's also he's got the high floor where he's pretty much at the major league level right now but uh back to Ranghel I I remember what I was going to say um we thought that he was going to join Pinto last year and kind of just follow him right up and cuz he had the numbers to uh to warrant it. He was pitching extremely well in the FCL. I think they just wanted to slow play him a little bit, perhaps, and maybe they were a little more confident, in Pinto had the abilities to excel uh, in full season ball. So I I definitely think Reinhardt could be a guy that finishes the year strong in Aberdeen and sets himself up to start AA in 2023 as a really young player.
2: I think, pulling up Reinhardt's page real quick, I think the only difference might have been that was his debut last year. And I think Pinto did get some time in the DSL, maybe with the Angels. So maybe that was the the difference there. But almost 12 strikeouts per game last season in the complex league, virtually no walks. Uh good ground ball numbers. I'm super excited about Ranael.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Pinto probably having that time in the DSL, like you mentioned, being a little bit older, was the separating factor, perhaps. But Ron Hell. You know, I think was right there with Pinto in a lot of ways last year in terms of production at the FCL. And I think that he's someone who could break out uh, at Del Marva. I'm really excited to see what he does. And Nick, to go back to one of your earlier points, yes, I agree. Just put Othalke Peralta in the bullpen to start the year at Norfolk, and I think he'll be in the Major League bullpen by Memorial Day.
2: He deserves it. At this point, it's like, just give it to him. I mean, even if you don't see him on the roster in five years, He's been in this organization since 2014. He's pretty much one of the last holdovers from the pre Elias era that's still in this organization. Um, Give him the opportunity next year. I really hope they do. I feel like they
1: will. I mean, they've stuck with him this long after taking over when they could have easily, you know, cut him in 2019, 2020 after he was kind of languishing in in A Ball. But They stuck with him. He had some results, and we're still waiting for him to get turned into a a reliever. I hope it happens with the Orioles and not with another organization where I think he could thrive. So, yeah, hopefully he does, and I think they will.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And before we move our focus away from the top 50 on to what else we have coming up over at com, Bob or Nick, any final thoughts on this 41-50 to group? I think – go ahead,
1: Nick.
2: I mean, I was, it, it's a solid group. I think it's some intrigue there for sure. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know if you guys want to talk about this or not, but I guess I can use this opportunity to just talk about some guys that I wanted in that back end. Like, we didn't mention uh, uh, Carlos Tavera. We didn't mention uh, Patrick Dorian, Andrew Doshbach, Lamar Sparks, Creed Willems, you know, uh, Isaac DeLeon's Toby Welks. I mean, Jacob Teeter. I can keep going on and on here. Like, there's a Stephen lot of Acevedo, names.
1: Steven Acevedo, Cody Sedluck.
2: Yeah. Trend and Craig, I mean, uh, there's so many names that uh, I think we all considered, uh, and it, it's frustrating because I'm not doing a top 100. Bob, don't even think about it. We're, we're sticking <laughs> to 15. <laughs> uh-huh. but that just speaks to the volume of you know volume of prospects in the system, how deep it is. And that list of guys who didn't crack our top 50, I can find you 10 that I think have legitimate major league tools. Um, you know, maybe they maybe never make it past you know, a double A AA or triple A, or never crack the major leagues, but they're at least legitimate major league tools there. So it's it's going to be another fun season of minor league baseball in Birdland.
1: Adam Stauffer, Jacob Teeter, <laughs> Nick Vespi, Felix Baltista, yeah. It's, it's pretty ridiculous. And even Colin Burns, I think, is a nice guy to have just rounding out the top 50 at number 50. Just a super solid, again, shortstop prospect. You can play there defensively. A little bit of potential with the bat. Not going to hit for power, but got a decent hit tool. And he's got a chance to eventually provide value at the major league level or in a trade. So the system is just filled with guys that have value and could potentially make the major leagues and contribute, which is, that's what you want. We want to be like the Tampa Bay Rays as far as depth goes. And I think we might not be there exactly, but we're on that track. So that's a great thing.
0: Completely agree. And talking about players outside of the top 50, Bob, why don't you tell our listeners what you have coming over on baltimoresportsandlife.com later this week?
1: Oh, yes. I wrote an article today, it will come out on Thursday most likely, of five players who did not make our top 50 list, but who could make our midseason top 50 list, and some of the guys just missed, and some of them are a little bit further down in my top 100, my personal top 100, and uh, could make that big jump up to the top 50 by the time July rolls around, so... I'll make a case for those five guys and hopefully you get a chance to check it out and tell me what you think.
0: Yeah. So be sure to check out the scouting reports of our top 50 prospects at Baltimore As Bob mentioned earlier, that's a composite of three lists that we put together. Nick will have the full reports. And if you hop onto the Mets board thread at BSL, we will also post our individual top fifties there. For you to see, although we've kind of covered them at various points uh, throughout the show tonight, especially where we had some splits. And while you're there, be sure to check out the other content on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, um, NFL coverage, NBA coverage, college sports, even some sports business on the site now. Uh, so check that out. Be sure to join the message board and interact with fellow readers and writers on the site. And follow us on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. We'll be back with a new show next week. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to this Top 50 Countdown for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds.